roll up a fatty for this pimp daddy. Light that blood up and say, Pimp it ain't easy. Pimp it ain't easy. Well, hello, and welcome to Bromancing the Stone. It's the podcast for myself, Renee Sanchez, and my good buddy, Max Lyon. What up? Watch Rob Gobbs, and then record our thoughts and post them on the internet for the tens and tens of listeners' listening pleasure. And Max, how are you doing this fine day? I am fantastic. I'm basically the same as I've been every other goddamn time we've recorded. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> has changed. <laughs> time has stopped. <laughs> time has no meaning. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well, especially after watching this movie. Yeah, this was a solid movie. I gotta say, thank you for introducing me to this. See, this is what I wanted out of our podcast. I wanted you to introduce me to some rom-coms that I haven't seen yet. (laughs) Yes. You know, I mean, when it came to, you know, when it came this week, when I finally made the choice to watch this movie, I couldn't hardly wait for us to watch it. You don't say. Speaking of, the movie we watched is Can't Hardly Wait. The 1998 teenage rom-com starring Jennifer Love Hewitt and Ethan Embry and other folks that you may recognize. Uh, I said it was 1999 last week. I was off by a year. You fucking liar. (laughs) Uh, So this was your first time watching it. For me, I remember watching this. I I mentioned it last week. I I watched it in theaters. and I don't know if my sister Rebecca saw it in theaters with me or if she saw it like when it like reran on cable or something. But I loved this film the, from the first time I watched it. I, I just thought it was hilarious, even even when I was a 10 year old. So <laughs> like that just kind of shows you where my head was at with, with comedy. I like I got most of the jokes. Um, but yeah, the. I mean, this film, I've seen it multiple times and every time I'm always entertained. And there's one particular part of this movie that we're going to dive deep into. I'm I'm telling you now, we're going to dive deep into it (laughs) um, because it's something that I've never forgotten since I watched it. And we'll get to it. Um. It's the ending scene. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, oh, well, yeah, that was before we even ended, before we even wrapped up watching the movie. That's what I said to you. I was like, there's really only one thing about this movie I need to talk about. And that was it. It's like the ending, the final fucking scene is, Well, yeah, we got to go into it. Yes, we'll, we'll get into that in a bit. But before then, let's go over the stats of this film. Hit me. So. Can't Hardly Wait is a 1998 American teen romantic comedy film written and directed by Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfont. So 
They tag teamed both parts there. Um, nice. Stars an ensemble cast, including Ethan Embry, Charlie Corsmo, who played William, the nerd, uh, Lauren Ambrose, who played the best friend, Denise, uh, Peter Facinelli, who played Mike Dexter, Seth Green, of course, who played Kenny Fisher, and Jennifer Love Hewitt, who played Amanda Beckett. Mm-hmm. And it's notable for a number of before-they-were-famous appearances by teen stars. The story takes place at a high school graduation party. Where everyone is just trying to get laid. <laughs> it came out June 12th of 1998, so it came out right around that graduation time frame. And the movie is 101 minutes, so an hour and 41 minutes. I felt like it was the perfect amount of time. Yeah, I think it was a quality use of those 140, 40, what was it, 141? Uh, 101. 101, <laughs> Jesus. You don't I'm know. I'm not good with numbers, man. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> and then uh, the budget for the film, uh, they're not 100% sure on it. So they say it's between 10 to 13 million. They're not uh, sure? Yeah. It's a, there are three sources for it. Um, <laughs> they're not. Um, so anyway, um, but yeah. Uh, what do you think it made in the box office? This to me felt like, uh, like a cute '90s cult classic. So it had that vibe about it that I wouldn't expect it to get that much. So I'm thinking like fifty. Everything you said was correct except the total. Uh, it made twenty five point six. Oh, I was way too high then. Yeah. Yeah, but yes, this is a cult classic from the '90s. A hundred percent. Much like Empire Records is a cult classic. It's mm. it's along the same lines. Um, and then the soundtrack peaked at number 25 on the Billboard 200 chart. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Fucking Smash Mouth, man. Nothing says late 90s like fucking Smash Mouth. And then the film takes its name from the replacement song of the same title from their 1987 album, Please to Meet Me, which plays over the film's closing credits. Hmm. So that's where they came up with the title. And not necessarily like they can't hardly wait to have sex, but it's actually a song. All right. Well, there you go. And then on Rotten Tomatoes, there are 62 reviews. What is the Rotten Tomato score for this film? 42%. 40%. Damn. All right, I had, you I had to about on it, man. I had to make a comeback after the the budget guess. <laughs> uh, the critics consensus is occasionally clever and moderately intelligent. Can't Hardly Wait also contains too many cheap laughs, recycled plotting, and flat characters. Well, no shit, it's flat characters. It's one night. Like, this, it's set in it's one night. It's also a teen so, rom-com. Like, they're teenagers. Yeah. Their teenagers are pretty flat people. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they, haven't, they haven't lived outside enough. They haven't gone outside enough to become round. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. They're still on the flat earth phase. Yeah. Um, 
Mike Caro of the Chicago Tribune wrote a bad review saying Kaplan and Elfont provide a real public service by showing how underage binge drinking can boost bookish students' social lives. And he wrote that facetiously. So basically saying how binge drinking can make you popular and make everything okay through William. Yeah, look at the rest of the late 90s and early 2000s, man. Like, come on. Yeah, I just want to yell at that writer, nerd! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong, but like, it also wasn't abnormal. It's not like this movie made it look okay when everyone else was like, come on, guys, don't, don't do that, don't do that. Like, Dave all the Kerr National Lampoon been... movies and shit, like, or the... The Van Wilder movies in the 2000s? Come on. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, those same care the same critics probably gave Van Wilder an even worse score. Oh, but, I bet, yeah. Yeah. Um Dave Kerr of the New York Daily News wrote, There are signs that can't hardly wait once had more serious aspirations, but in the final edit, at least, it's the dumb broad slapstick that prevails. Short circuiting identification with the characters before it can begin. And then Melanie McFarland of the Seattle Times wrote, the majority of the film is mired in magazine cliches and tired gags. Oh, look, the foreign exchange student only knows how to say he's a sex machine. Ha! And the nerd's getting drunk. Who? Yeah, those were funny, bitch. (laughs) That was rude. I'm sorry for calling Melanie McFarland, bitch. But they were funny. Like... Well, I mean, because I've had that same I had that same opinion about all the gags in the Gary Marshall films like they I had that same exact reaction to the jokes. It's like, oh, Julia Roberts is falling down. Ha. Yeah, I was going to I was going to say, like comparing it to the teen high school movie that I love, for example, that got, I'm sure, fucking rave reviews about the same exact basic shit like 10 things i hate about you had stupid worn out gags in it too Mm -hmm. like and it was shallow characters and like because it's high school it's a teen rom-com it's supposed to be stupid and silly and basic Mm -hmm. you know like i said they're fucking high schoolers you make it more complex it's not realistic (laughs) Exactly. And then there's uh, there's a couple good reviews, but I'll just read this one. Um, and this one comes from Stephen Thompson of the AV Club. And he wrote, The film deserves credit both for its breezy pacing and its uncommon tendency to make its characters smarter and geekier than they might have been. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then Carrie Ricky of the Philadelphia I'll read another one. Carrie Ricky of the Philadelphia Inquirer wrote Fortunately, some of the appealing young performers who include Ethan Embry, Charlie Corswell, Lauren Ambrose, and especially Seth Green managed to emerge <laughs> from the film's generic suburban teen backdrop. That so, I, I think that's the review I agree with the most. Yeah. Like the I performances think... shine. Yes, because I think I think to a point, some of those negative reviews were were touching on things that were right. 
but they were, I, I don't know. I feel like they're, they're all critiquing the same kind of stuff and it's all the wrong stuff to critique about this movie. Like they're critiquing it from like, they just got done watching when Harry met Sally, you know, they're critiquing it. Like they're like, so they're in their living room with someone and that some, that other person in there is just like, Hey, I want to make you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And then they, and then that person comes over and brings them a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And then they're in the living room and they're pissed that they were not provided a filet mignon at a nice restaurant. <laughs> they were told they were getting a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in their living room. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's the best way to put it is that their expectations, I think are just not what they should be for this movie. Like, yeah. You're, you should like, be expecting you knew I was getting a, you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. If you didn't want the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, then you shouldn't have fucking take, said you would take the peanut butter and jelly sandwich if I made it for you. should have yeah. told me before I even made it. Exactly. Instead of sitting there and like starting to, to talk about or critique the ingredients used for that PB&J, they're still bitching about the fact that they didn't get a filet mignon. It's like, bitch, you yeah. knew what was coming, first of all. Second of all, that's not the issue. We're asking you, how do you like your fucking PB&J? That's all yeah. I fucking asked you. How is this PB&J compared to other PB&J? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I'll tell you what, it's a brand new fresh jar of peanut butter, and it's a local preserve of jam. So, yeah, it's damn good. It's a fucking whole grain bread. <laughs> Yeah, the bread, the bread was sourced from Italy. I don't know fucking, why or for what, but yeah. Fresh ground like, yesterday, man. Baked this morning. <laughs> oh. They they literally put the wheat into a steel like thistle and then by hand broke the wheat down and then <laughs> brought the yeast out that they had that they made. Or sourced organically. <laughs> this analogy is going too far. <laughs> anyway. Um, so I thought it'd be fun to go through the movie and talk about like each characters and like each set of storyline and talk about how realistic it felt to high school itself like oh well i mean i would say the same thing about most of them like it's the overarching feeling is is they adhered to it pretty spot on yeah they even though they're doing stereotypes it feels like this could be any like any small town to suburban high school experience like uh or at least like yeah, at least like white person high school experience. Yeah, or like yeah, exactly. Affluent or like semi-affluent high school experience. And and um, also like obviously it's not the exact events themselves. It's not a direct translation yeah. of all these things. Like just looking back from our 30s on our high school experiences and going, oh yeah, we did go through something that was that felt just like that or mm. or went similarly like that. Like. That's that's what I was noticing was like looking back on those on those kinds of events, like the ones that you were talking about during the movie, you were bringing up like the ones that they were they were just letting get to them so much more. Back mm-hmm. in high school than they than you would now, like what was it, um, Ethan Embry's character like flips out at. Oh, the, the, the phone, 
That's, Jenna, yeah, the phone thing. Yeah. Jenna Elfman comes in and like hangs up his phone call in the phone booth and yeah, kicks him out. And he's like fucking raving pissed. And it's yeah. like, yeah, that, God, that really is what I was like in high school. Like, Jesus. Like, re- remembering just how like black or white your emotions felt. Yes, and, everything and how... was black and white. There was no room for any gray. Yeah. And on top of that, like, you just didn't have any sense of, you, you didn't think about other people's opinions or how things would be accepted or, like, thought of. Like, you're just standing outside a phone booth in the early morning yelling at a woman who's, like, in there on the phone. Any bystander could come walk in and immediately think, oh, she's in danger. I need to call the cops on this guy. But as an 18-year-old, you're not even thinking about that. You're just like, she wasted my quarter that I put in to go talk to someone on the phone. And I must have justice because everything is black and white. If I don't have justice, that means I've lost, I failed, and this world isn't as, you know, and the world and fate don't exist the way that I think that they do. Which is I, and, why Amanda would even be with him in the first place. And then even even simpler than that, I was just recalling how how much simpler your your world was, you know, like your yes. emotions were so black and white and so overpowering, you know, like when something happened to you, the emotional reaction from it was so intense that like an outside world beyond yourself didn't exist yet. Like you could only handle your own perspective. And so I was just remembering back to like, yeah, how not selfish, just like self, like only, yeah, like only self-aware I was. Like I'm only really aware of my own little, I wasn't necessarily self-absorbed, but like you have your own little world, you know, your friends, your little pocket of reality in high school. Well, as I said in the movie last week, The Perfect Date, self-obsessed is, yeah. 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 A self-obsessed, <laughs> self-obsessed prick. <laughs> and in high school, it's totally understandable. But yeah, when you are in your late 20s, early 30s, and you're still pulling that stuff, it's like, okay, you kind of need to. I mean, yeah, because growing up, everything's about you. Your parents make everything about you. Exactly. So you have to take care of it because you don't know any better. Exactly. And so everything is about you and everything. And then as you grow up and you are out on your own and you realize you have to take care of yourself, then you realize, oh, nobody gives a shit about me except people who, uh, who know me. Like, yeah, that's a very, 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 very small contingent. So it's just like, oh, okay. And then that's how you learn things that revolve around you and that you need to straighten up and act right as an adult. It's the circle of life. <laughs> yeah, that that transition from high school to the real world is is that's a big one. That's a big one. Yeah, so I'm but, glad I'm glad there are rom coms about it because it's 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 got a lot to touch on. Yes, and and I think this is one of the better ones just ever. <laughs> I, I love this movie. Um, so let's let's go for. Since uh, since we just talked about how realistic all these scenes or how all these storylines are, let's just kind of meander from beginning to end. Then, um, first thing I love about this film is when they introduce all the characters because it's more about the amount of characters 
and not necessarily one storyline with a bunch of supporting characters. Everyone gets their shine. Everyone gets their time. That's true. Yeah. I'm glad we didn't have to follow Preston around the whole time watching him fawn over Amanda. Yeah. Like the only preferential treatment Preston and Amanda storyline gets is that it's the first one you find out about and the last one you see. Right. Other than that, it gets the same around the same amount of time as everyone else. You know. Yeah, that was solid. Um, I like that. Yeah, I dig that, and then I dig the fact that in order to portray that and to be, uh, you know, to be uh, um, faithful to that, they decide to have that whenever they introduce someone, freeze frame it as if it's a yearbook photo. Oh yeah. And the whole yearbook thing about activities, a quote, and you get to learn about the character and who they are as a person. And you can immediately put them into that like stereotype that they want you to put them in all within like a five to 10 second little montage with some music behind it. Yeah. Fuck that review. They totally give these characters depth. Yeah. And it's just like, you know exactly who they are within five to 10 seconds. Yeah. And like, and let's go ahead and compare that once again to the Gary Marshall films <laughs> where we're just where expected to care. Long, like how long, like you're still learning things about Edward and Vivian and pretty woman an hour and 15 minutes into a two hour movie. And here in this film, you learn everything about everyone within five to 10 seconds and your media. You're like, okay, let's see this person be alive. You know, like I get them. I understand my feelings about that kind of person. Let's see them be alive. It's a lot more fun and interesting to watch. I'm Gary Marshall and I want to let you solve this puzzle that I like to call life. And I've given it to you in little hints over the course of three fucking days of a movie. And you're expected to care. Fuck you, Gary Marshall. Why are we still talking about that bitch? I just want to make sure you're finished before I go ahead and highlight all the things that are wrong about that. So one, Gary Marshall's not British. <laughs> no, I was just mocking him. <laughs> it sounded like a British accent. It's two, you sounded like uh, Richard Attenborough and... Richard Attenborough. And there was someone else, but like Richard Attenborough and someone else like came together and had a baby. Who's Richard um, Attenborough? He's the one, he's the uh, uh, narrator for uh, Planet Earth. It's David Attenborough, isn't it? David Attenborough, not Richard Attenborough. Maybe Richard was the name of the other person I was confusing you with. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> Gary Marshall is, Gary Gary Marshall is stealing our time again. He was from New York, I think. So, he, so he had he kind of talked like this. Who cares? He's stealing our time. So yeah, so I love that about the this film, the the yearbook use, um, and then of course the yearbook is like the whole thing behind Melissa Joan Hart, which is the other part of this film that mentions like a lot of before they were famous stars, and it's like now it's like these teen stars who had a moment in the two thousands, which now was over a decade old. So now it's just like, Oh my gosh, all the people who I remember being famous at a time 
And it's now been like a decade since they had that time. And that time was like years after this film came out. And I'm just like, holy fuck, how much time has passed? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, think about all the people, like, like, uh, like the sitcom My Name is Earl, which had Jamie Presley star in it. She was one of the girlfriends. And like, My Name is Earl was on for multiple seasons and it's a known sitcom. But at the same time, you don't see that shit on streaming sites. It's like a second, like. Yeah, do you do you ever think of that sitcom other than like the two no, seconds every no. few months where it passes through your mind like oh i remember that existed and then you don't think about it for a few more months a few more years yeah and at the same time like that was still a thing where she was known for being in that show and that was years after this it's just like that's how long ago this film i don't know it just it blew my fucking mind to see all these people who were like now they're back to not being known <laughs> that's yeah, how much, like how long how much time has passed exactly like i just asked you i was like whatever happened to jennifer love here she hasn't done anything in a while like you had to remind yeah. me but she's still she's doing one tv show like some you know tv show that yeah she's a suburbanites watch you know <laughs> yeah but yeah shot I, is in nine one one <laughs> 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 Somebody call 911. <laughs> it's on the phone. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Jennifer Love Hewitt now. <laughs> you tell her emergency and she sends the EMTs to the dance floor. <laughs> So that was also fun seeing. Um, also, I mean, yeah, Brecken Meyer, who was a lead singer of the band, and like was also, you know, of course, in Road Trip, and he's been in other things too. He was in Ghosts of uh, Girlfriends Past, which we saw. Oh yeah, um, he was the brother. Um, yeah, yeah. So he's a known actor as well. But uh, like, I love that he when he tells. Donald Faison, who's played Turk and Scrubs, like when he tells him that, you know, he was with his girlfriend in his van the, the night before. And then when he like mimes the whole, you know, sexual innuendo part, he says giggity giggity. Well, <laughs> Breckin Meyer was one of the voices on Family Guy. So I'm sure he probably oh. either heard that right, right at that moment from Seth MacFarlane or Maybe he's the one who passed that on to Seth MacFarlane, who then passed it on to the character of Quagmire. But like Giggity Giggity was right, like that's right around the the like creation of the character point. of Quagmire. So it's like there's so many things. Like this film is so far back, but at the same time, it feels so present because everyone lived through that high school experience. But that, but the time around the high school experience that you're watching is so par in the past and it's crazy to yeah. think about that well because with we we yeah, made yeah. such potent memories during that period of our life and so those memories stick with us a lot more vividly for a lot longer i think than a lot of other memories so yes. they feel fresher still 
And it's like, but I mean, like, yeah, think about it. Like 98. Okay. Like I remember Y2K and all that shit. I remember the turn of the millennium and I'm like, yeah, that doesn't, I mean, it feels like a long, what? Excuse me. Millennium. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) No, because you remember that? You interrupted me for that. Really? You remember the song Millennium by Will Smith? No, you can't. No, I don't care what explanation you have. So in the song, they say Millennium. And then in the song, he goes, excuse me, Willennium. And so I was hoping you would get that no. very esoteric reference. <laughs> uh, anyway, continue on with your point. I apologize. I don't even remember what my point was. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. Fuck. <laughs> um... Uh, what were we even talking about? Uh, oh, the turn of the millennium and all that shit. Like, just like that feels like a long time ago, but it doesn't feel like that long ago. Like, I can still remember it pretty freshly, or at least it seems like I do. But then, like, not that long ago, I realized like people can look at our our ID and check our fucking twenty one year old you know selves by just seeing the one in our birth year. Mm-hmm. They don't even have to read the fucking decade anymore. We're be- we're beyond that. As long as they see the one to start nineteen eighty something, they're like, oh, yep, they're they're over twenty one. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> it's nuts. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Um. So. I so what did you think about <laughs> what did you think about Mike Dexter and his bros? I don't know. That's just the next one next part that came to mind. Uh I don't think they even really need to be spent that much time on. They're like the the very stereotypical. I I, I mean, yes, yeah, stereotypical, but I also liked how it was structured. I like with the whole Mike Dexter thing where He's first betrayed by his friends who like yeah. don't follow him off the cliff sort of thing. And then after that, then, you know, he, he gets kind of a, he gets informed by the future trip McNeely that it's that his plan is fucks from jump street. And then he gets hurt by the present because he gets so past, he gets so drunk that he ends up like getting chloroformed and then <laughs> has these pictures taken of him, which then resurface the fuck of his life in the future, as we found out at the end. So like he just gets fucked from like all aspects of his life. Yeah. And it's just like to see the movie villain just get so comprehensively fucked is oddly fun to watch. <laughs> In a way. Is it? Yeah. Because I didn't I feel like it... he deserved it that much. Like, he didn't deserve the ending he got, I didn't think. Yes, like, he did. I, I get that you're painting this guy as a douchebag, but this is high school. And he already, over the course of the movie, showed that he has some semblance of growth, even if it's to a small extent. No, he and, didn't. Yeah, he did. When his like, when you said his future came to visit him, the the guy that had just graduated and gone off to college and sits by him and uh-huh. g- 
gives him some of the information, he may not yeah. wake up to the right kinds of stuff or all of the stuff that he probably needs to wake up to, but he starts waking up to something at least. And that in itself was like a step in the right direction, I thought. And I was like, and then like uh, at the Wait, end. Wake or, up? Yeah. Oh. So. I, I'm, I'm not sure. So what do you mean by wake up to something? I mean, he he just wakes up to admitting that he can make mistakes, that he's not the hot shit that he thinks he is, you know, the the inflaw or, you know, infallible, you know, perfect guy that's going to go off to college and rule the world. He's already having kind of a humbling experience before he even graduates. OK, then what, how do you explain what happens at the diner afterward? Well, he's in fucking high school. He's a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to grow up overnight. He's still a piece of shit for a while. <laughs> okay, then. If he's still a piece of shit, which you just admitted, then he deserves what he gets. Anyway. Um, so. Because um, because you just dictate that. Okay. Yeah. As far as uh, Mike Dexter's favorite person to fuck over, William is concerned. His arc was very fun to watch. What's funny about the character, the actor who played him is that the actor like basically didn't act in anything after this and actually went to get, went on to like, I believe MIT and got a degree in physics. Did he? Yeah. That was cool. Yeah. So he's actually like really smart, just like his character and like, and Basically, he had this one character that had this fantastic, alt, amazing night and who ended up uber successful. And then he just never on film again. Oh, yeah. It says that he's he's an assistant professor of law. Jesus. Yeah, he became a lawyer with his physics degree. Like, I guess has worked with the EPA, but on the Republican side. So, (laughs) yeah. He was in in Hook, apparently. Yeah. And he was a kid actor who did a few things. And then, and then uh, as a teenager, did this movie. That's cool. That's a cool background. I like that. Yeah. And then, as far as. I mean, the first off, the fucking dude who brings in the boombox and is playing Paradise City. God, there's always one motherfucker. I tagged uh, our buddy Matt, <laughs> the Reese Witherspoon expert. Um, Was in he a tweet, that motherfucker? No. Well, in a live tweet, uh, and remember, bro, at Bro the Stone Pod, if you want all your live tweets, I actually remember to end it before recording today so yay me (laughs) um but um with matt like i i mentioned in the tweet like oh there's always that one dude who always plays music that no one else wants to hear at the party and then i tagged matt in it (laughs) Mm. because that was matt that was matt yeah (laughs) matt would always (laughs) because like he all for some reason he believed that Jumper by Third Eye Blind was 
the perfect sing-along song. Dear God, really? I know. Yeah, like just. Which, by the way, the chorus is very sing-alongy. Like when, and you know, the being like really drunk, I could see singing. You know, where's you with that? Like it, it all makes sense. But at the same time, you have to be a certain level of drunk. Yeah, that's like a depressing kind of drunk. Yeah. Well, not even just like that. Like you have to be a certain kind of drunk to where you just don't even understand the the value of words. (laughs) You're just in notes and melodies that you're that you can sing subconsciously without even thinking about it. Where like you sing it and then you realize what you just sang. And then when you get to the verse where you don't know how to sing. Then you're just like, wait, what did we just sing? Oh, what? Fucking, why are we singing this? But it's already passed, so you had the moment. Hmm. But he would try to play this at like the beginning of the party after two drinks, and it's just like, dude, Matt, stop it! Like, no one wants to sing this with you. Yeah, I do vaguely remember. But every party, he would try it. Yep, and it was just, and that was college. That was senior year, yeah. But it made me hate him and love him all at the same time. I'm like, God damn it, Matt. <laughs> and that's why he's the Reese Witherspoon expert. That's why we bring him back up on the show every time we watch a Reese Witherspoon movie. Because that's Matt. <laughs> I'm I'm glad we're uh, we're wrapping up the Reese Witherspoon movies. <laughs> oh, shut up, Max. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so. Then, so let's talk about the first of the two main love stories in this film. We're not we're not going to talk about the main one yet. We'll save that for the very end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about Kenny and Denise. That was fucking amazing. First of all, Kenny is fucking yes. hilarious. Seth Green as Kenny Fisher is top notch. A one hilarity. Just. First off, the activities. I I always love that fucking gag. The activities. JV basketball, one game. That's it. I fucking love that line. That is such a good joke to me. It's one of those jokes that's like a lot of people would just like see it and be like, oh yeah, that's funny. <laughs> or like, you know, not even or just ignore the joke altogether. And to me, it's the funniest fucking joke funniest written gag in the entire film and one of the funnier jokes in the film. I don't know why, but just the thought of playing JV basketball for one fucking game is all the activities you do, and yet you still somehow get into UCLA. <laughs> it's just like, you rich, white, privileged motherfucker. Like, And also, this is the first time I watched this film where I actually understood the whole idea of how rich and white privileged he was in the film. Like, I always just thought he was just a poser who just thought he was black when he's not, you know. But in this film, you realize, like, oh, he drives this huge fucking GMC Suburban, like, truck. He fucking got into UCLA without, like, any sort of merits, it seems like. (laughs) Like, and it just, like, everything else, it just felt like, he somehow grew up to become a house of representative or, or like, <laughs> like house of representative supporter for like a Southern state. Cause he just like, has no, you should have just left it at house of representatives. Like just, yeah. 
He just became like the the state representative of Arizona. Yeah, exactly. Like, or just he just failed upwards. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, that's God, those were the those were the kids in high school that drove Hummers to my school. Uh-huh. God, and they would like they were always divided up. We had we had like the automotive group that was more of like the angsty drag racing fucking guys. And then the other half would be like Seth Green, but mixed with like Hillbilly. Uh, Yeah. I know. I know of who you speak. Yeah. (laughs) There's, I mean, cause there's a, a subset of country music where like country music is now devolving into country white dudes who were like not even singing but like rapping their lyrics now in a way jeez i mean we're just like oh something in the backwoods in a like you know like not even singing lyrics like they're just like talking <laughs> like talking in rhythm and it's like oh so you just basically like stole rap <laughs> and like but probably still call rap crap because it's not like a backwood even that one, that, that was like one of the first ones that came out that I was like, I started questioning, like, I know you're singing, but like a lot of this is just kind of like carrying a very basic beat. Like it's, I mean, one of your favorite country songs is a, barely a song above a rap, which is Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> That's not one of my favorites. I just know that lo- that one pisses you off. God damn that song. It's the stupidest <laughs> fucking song. I hate it. Oh, no. I went through it. Let's get back to Kenny and Denise. Yeah, we're, completely- yeah, we're, we're, we're fucking, what are we doing here? What are we doing? We're talking about white people exceptionalism. Yeah. Fucking um, fucking high school, man. Jesus. Yeah, just high school in general. But uh yeah, I mean, but still Seth Green as Kenny Fisher just plays it the perfect amount of like straight, like legit trying to be cool, and also in a way that you know it's supposed to be lampooned. And it's like yeah, he just puts the perfect amount on it. And uh, seeing him transform away from that with uh yeah. with what's her name? When he puts, when he brings his wall down. Yeah. Like that makes him redeemable. Totally makes him redeemable. And and then he gets his manhood questioned by Denise. Mm -hmm. Unprovoked. Like (laughs) unprovoked in a way. That was something else I noticed that this watching, but like, then he puts his wall up and starts talking like that again to put his wall up. Cause he was like hurt while he was vulnerable. And you could see like this whole, this whole put on was just a way of protecting himself. Yeah. I and thought that was, like, that was a good touch. Yeah. And it's just like, there's little things like that throughout this film. And it's like, this isn't just a random ass teen rom-com where they're just trying to play it for yucks. There's little things that you can find in here, but you know, the critics want to flame and yawn, not peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the, yeah. So but as I mentioned, we can get back to Denise. Like, then there's Denise, who obviously her, you know, 
her wall is that she just immediately dismisses everyone as beneath her because you know it's a lot easier to not talk to them and not be friends with people and accept people not being friends with you if you immediately think that they're beneath you Mm -hmm. or they're just gonna you know betray your trust once you let them in i'll reject them before they reject me right yeah yeah. yeah, there's a lot of very, like, very broad thematic concepts throughout this movie. Like, a lot of other teen rom-coms. I think, like, teen rom-coms in general, now that we're in our 30s, I think are fantastic to go back and watch now. Simply for that reason, because now we've actually garnered some added perspective. And we can go back and, like, reflect on some of these very simple fucking concepts but seems so complex at the time (laughs) yep although yeah i mean matt and i were supposed to do one but we only got one episode in and then we never did the second episode (laughs) yeah we never did a second episode (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's still there if you want to hear the pilot one i think the pilot one's pretty good uh maybe we'll do a second one at some point who knows probably not (laughs) <laughs> but yeah and, you know maybe that podcast will get redone by someone else in the future i don't know i thought it was a solid idea after he finally convinced me to do it um the the like then then there's the whole this isn't the kiss of the film but the kiss that they share in the bathroom is it was the it, it, it was the kiss of the film for me at the at that moment. Like up until that moment, yeah. yeah that was definitely yeah. the kiss of the film for me. I mean, and along the same lines, their actual sexual experience too. Just everything rang so true. Yeah. Also rang in and it's just like but it didn't ring as like awkward or like painfully awkward to watch. It was more like just an experience. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's uh, innocent. There we go. Yes, there is an innocence to it and cuteness to it that just as a viewer, you're just like, oh man. Yeah, they're fucking. They're they're learning. Look at the learning. I'm glad you brought that up because I was I was like when that scene was happening, and it's a great fucking scene. Like they nailed it. They didn't rush it. They didn't make it awkward. They didn't make a joke of it. They let it be cute and innocent. Too, it's framed well. Like yeah, yeah. Like directed well. Yes. But like while it's happening, I'm sitting there, of course, reflecting on you know my first experience in high school and everything, and like how that felt back then versus my eyes looking back on it now. And I'm just like, I'm sitting there watching this scene and going, oh, yeah, exactly. They're learning. Like, oh, God. <laughs> I was so fucking young. Look at look at me go. Like, that kind of, like, innocence. Like, Jesus. I mean, I feel that way with everything in high school, though. Like, if only we I could mean, go back. It's like the way that Archer sees an animal. Like, he thinks he's people. <laughs> like... <laughs> It's kind of the reaction I have to this scene and just what they're doing. It's like, they think they're people, you know, just like, look at them. Yeah, that's true. Because yeah, to 
like when we were in high school, that was that was the edge of the universe to us. We didn't understand how the world yeah, worked man. beyond that. So, yeah. Oh man. And also, they light the scented candle. I love the fact that they <laughs> yeah. haven't combined one sexual experience of it, like between them. And so they're just like to the point where they light the scented candle. Gotta have a scented candle. Of course. Because the smell of sex is so going to be so pungent from this two-minute session he's about to put in. That you have to minutes. light the candle. Not even going to be two <laughs> minutes. I mean, I say two minutes because like, I'm counting all the way from the first kiss. to. <laughs> <laughs> Sex doesn't start at the penetration and insertion part. It starts at the very beginning when you start taking your clothes off. All right. That's the thing that people need to realize. All right. That's very true. I didn't last, I didn't last a minute. I lasted 15 minutes. It just happened that 14 of the 15 minutes were warm up. But that still counts. It is it is the kind warm of up, refreshing. The warm up still counts as the warm-up still counts as exercise. All right. Stretching is still a form of exercise. So, I don't and, know. And if that's a very necessary part of the workout. Exactly. Would you like me to pull something? Because I'd like you to pull something, too. And, like, you know. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Cool text, okay. man. Fucking <sighs> hell, man. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I am glad to get to an age where I it's a little refreshing to finally appreciate like foreplay. <laughs> <laughs> like back then, like yeah, rushing straight to the actual act of sex was like the way to go. It's nice to be at an age where I'm like, oh yeah, it actually feels really good to like get undressed. Like I appreciate that stage. <laughs> Hell, I fucking do it when I come home from work. And I'm like, God, that was almost a sexual experience just to get undressed from work. Yeah, man. I take my khakis off. Or I should say I used to know what that felt like. <laughs> my virginity has grown back in that respect. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I've been a virgin again for many years at this yep. point. Yep. <laughs> um but then also I love just the dynamic after the sex too. Like first the fact that Denise decides that she needs to speak up like that. And it's like, she obviously feels awkward and which unfortunately is prop is probably more of a, you know, just the, a, fem, a young female, like the pressures of society would cause that reaction in a young female. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because slut shaming is extremely prevalent when we're younger. And I mean, is prevalent in general, but extremely so when we're younger. Where every guy has to bang someone and every girl is supposed to be chaste and pure and yada yada. And now she just slept with Kenny Fisher, the fucking, the dude who thinks he's black. <laughs> and it's just like, so obviously her wall going back up is, you know, that, that seemed that's a, that checks out like that would make sense in that moment, you know? Yeah. And because of that, she decides to say something to 
break the silence, but also it almost feels in a way like she's trying to nag him a little bit to reassert her dominance in the the whole I'm better than you thing. But I, I think it's just off as I think it's just as simple as an example of both of their walls going back up. Like she becomes exactly. cold and defensive again and lashes, I mean, quote unquote, lashes out. She doesn't actually lash out, but you yeah. know, the act of lashing out, you yeah. know, just because she feels vulnerable and now he feels vulnerable and defensive. So he's going to go back to his walls. It's, I mean, it's the yeah. same fucking back and forth we see in pretty much every fucking rom-com <laughs> so that that's good to know yeah. that doesn't go away after high school <laughs> yeah it's it's basically what harry and sally did after they banged yeah <laughs> it's really the same yeah. thing the same um <clears throat> and then you know there's the cool little scene with like no cars on the street because they're in a small town and yeah and then the way that Preston talks to her about it and how she admits that fate does exist. It's just, it happens in a really fucked up way sometimes. And him saying, yeah, especially in your case. <laughs> that was such a good <laughs> fucking joke. A perfect joke. It's so good. And so, you know, just it, yeah, it just like then at the end and what happens after ever after, which I don't really have to do because we were given it for everyone. Uh, but the way that, you know, five minutes later, she broke up and then <laughs> 10 minutes later, they found a bathroom and got back together. Like, okay, so that's going to be their summer. Their summer, they're just going to keep begging in places that they that probably shouldn't. Sounds like a fucking amazing summer. Yeah. Then they're gonna. She's gonna go to NYU. He's gonna go to UCLA. They're gonna awkwardly not be sure whether they should try long distance or anything. That first Christmas vacation back, maybe they'll meet. Maybe they'll hook up one more time, but then it'll be done after that. I guess there is a what happens after after for me. <laughs> like, but they're done banging after the first vacation back. Oh. Until ten years later, when they see each other at a reunion. <laughs> A reunion, and and they find a bathroom, and <laughs> yeah, find another bathroom. That's can't hardly um, wait too. They're they're like the yeah. subplot of can't hardly wait too at the ten year reunion. Uh, <laughs> that'd be dope if they had yeah. a reunion. Oh, that would be dope. They're that'd always be in the background of the scene, like running off to try to find a spot to fuck. Like that's always the fucking joke. <laughs> <laughs> so that gets us to our final uh storyline which is preston and amanda mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a love story movie first thing i want to say in the case of preston is that preston more than any any other character made me realize this question where the fuck are the parents? Yes. For everything. Where the fuck are the parents? Yes. Like, I mean, I get that they're seniors and they all have their own cars now and they are all kind of like, you know, independent-ish. 
But let's count this out. Graduation. No semblance of parents anywhere. So all these kids just sit for a graduation ceremony with no one in the bleachers. Oh, yeah. No family. No one. Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) Like, so there's that. (laughs) Like, no, and then... At the end, which we'll talk about in detail a little bit more, but for now, at the end, he's at the train station. His parents are not seeing him off. Yeah. Or not even like, we'll go with you and help you move in to your dorm room or wherever the fuck. Yeah, where's he going to college? Somewhere in Boston. Oh, yeah. What the? Yeah. Aren't they in... New York? Or um, or do, are they just somewhere in the northeast where New York and Boston are? I, I'm I'm saying I'm thinking somewhere in the northeast. Uh, like but either way, like, like yeah, it's it's not like he's going from the suburbs into the city kind of thing. It's not he's not taking the goddamn metro. This is a legit fucking train ride. Yeah. Like he is going off to another city. Yeah, what the fuck? Where are the parents? Exactly my point. <laughs> Just like, where are the parents in anything? So, like... <laughs> there, I, there literally is no... Do we ever actually see adults in the movie beyond, like... The, the cops? cops? Or Jenna Elfman? Or Trip McNeely, who technically is only like nineteen at the time. Yeah, so he's he's just like one or two years removed from high school. Jenna Elfman, yeah. we don't know her age. We just know she's a stripper. For all we know, she just graduated high school and became a stripper. Yeah, she could be in her twenties. Yeah. Uh, so the really, cops. yeah, the cops are the only fucking adults we see in the movie. I just realized that. Yes. Where are the adults? What the fuck? (laughs) That's nuts. And I'll tell you where. They were in the budget being up to 15 to 20 million and not 10 to 13. (laughs) (laughs) That's where they were. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Nonetheless. So I I digress. I just wanted to bring that up. That's a good point. With Preston and Amanda. Preston rides the line between hopeless romantic and annoying as fuck and creepy creeper creeperton <laughs> and i just have to in the the tiebreaker because it's very close but the tiebreaker is that he's 18 years old <laughs> that overrides everything that explains everything and he wins as far as being a hopeless romantic yes in this situation. absolutely if he was 28 years old doing this. Then it's the tiebreakers moving more toward Creeper McCreeperton. Like, get your shit together. 38 years old, definitely Creeper status. Yes. So, uh, but at 18, I mean, and we talked about the the righteous indignation he had at the phone booth. You know. Yeah. Like, did we talk yeah. about it while recording or did we talk about that off? No, no, no. We talked about. We talked about. I think. Okay. Didn't we? Yeah. I mean, well, we're an hour in. I mean, it's we must we're have. going. But when we watch movies we like, we go longer. It's weird. 
Um, <laughs> it's not even, uh, not even fucking like just movies that actually have more to talk about. Fucking Gary Marshall. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, it's a, yeah, it makes it both, but uh, but nonetheless, it just the the letter. I mean, he's going to a writing workshop done by Kurt Vonnegut. Like, so he obviously has some sort of writing talent that he's going to college. It sounds like for writing and he's meet, going to a workshop taught by Kurt Vonnegut. So he obviously probably had to write an essay to like get a spot into it and everything else like that. So he's obviously a talented writer. So we have to assume the letter is written very well, but how good does that letter have to be to make up for his just behavior <laughs> in the film? <laughs> Well, I mean, from our perspective, it has to be pretty good. I don't think from her her perspective, she doesn't really know about a lot of the shit that he's done, right? I mean, yeah, because she doesn't really know him. Yeah. And I mean, he's not really guilty of too much other than just being obsessed with this girl for four years. I mean, and the eyes. They're crazy. The, the eyes? They're cra- well, yeah, because... What's his fucking Ethan Embry's fucking eyes are crazy looking. Like he looked fucking weird in uh Empire Records. No, no, no. The other the the, the movie we watched with Matt. Um Sweet Home Alabama. Thank you, thank you. Sweet Home Alabama. Like I thought I every time he came on screen in that movie, I'm just like, I don't know whether to like you or fear you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that is just the Ethan Embry experience. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> he's just got some, he's got some interesting eyes. <laughs> so yeah, that maybe a lot of Preston Myers is, is based on Ethan Embry. <laughs> maybe some of that creepiness wouldn't be there. I just, <laughs> that's true. That's very true. <laughs> Because, dude, yeah, the eyes, they are fucking crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Nonetheless. Uh, So, and then, of course, there's Amanda Beckett, played by Jennifer Love Hewitt. Oh, the apple of my eye at the age of 14. First off, I know that before the recording... I asked you to get it out of your system. Oh yeah, I had to. But we still will wax poetic about the beauty that is Jennifer Love You at this she, time. She is so she fucking is hot and cute at the same time. Striking in this film. Yeah. My goodness. Yes. Yep. Quite striking. Although yep. the stains on her teeth can be seen in the final scene. We'll talk about it. Oh know. really? I didn't even notice that. Yeah. You kind of see some stains in her teeth. It was just like, yeah, it it made it made her more human, made her more girl next story. <laughs> it's all the coffee <laughs> the, the fucking long days of shooting on set, probably. Yeah, that too. Um, I don't then, know. Was, was nineteen ninety eight before the the whole wheat uh, teeth whitening trend kicked in? Yeah, I mean. You could say the nineties were before a lot of things as far as like cosmetic and yeah. just improvements in general. Yeah, that's I mean, very that true. Because so, I mean that's before cell phones and shit like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, because 90s hot was a very different hot than 2000s hot. Yeah. I agree. And like when we've gone back and watched 90s rom-coms, for example, I definitely noticed like a different kind of female lead that is cast or like, you know, just noticing the different cosmetic styles and shit. Like it's, it's weird seeing what the decades bring in terms of taste, how it's so subjective. It's mm-hmm. nuts. But anyway, I digress. Jennifer Love Hewitt is timeless. <laughs> That's all I have to say. But along the same lines, though, her character in the film, they didn't really ask much of her in the first half. Like, she just has to play this whole, like, everyone's looking at me at this party, but I have yeah, to it's put pretty on a great quiet. Yeah, it's just like, everything has to be played, like, she's trying to play everything without saying it, and for as beautiful as she was at the time, her acting ability did not match her beauty, and I don't think ever has. <laughs> like, yeah. We, we love Jennifer Love Hewitt because she's Jennifer Love Hewitt. We don't love Jennifer Love Hewitt because of how she acts. Like this movie, you, see her, you have to go into it with the right expectations. Yeah, when you see her in things, you don't say, oh, wow, she played that character really well. You say, oh, wow, this movie had Jennifer Love Hewitt in it. Yep. <laughs> and she was smoking. She was perfect in this movie. Yeah, I mean, it, it worked out in the second half of the film when she gets to be mad and, like, fucking, first off, all the dudes who just, like, when they find out for sure, for sure, she's done with Mike yeah. Dexter, and the way that they're going after her, it's just like, oh, God, no wonder Me Too happened. <laughs> like, fuck, God. <laughs> right? <laughs> Jesus. It's just like, I just shook my head because it wasn't, because it was, it wasn't even like, uh, you know, shaking my head like, oh my God, like the way dudes are being portrayed. It's more of the fucking hell that's so real. Like that's all I, like, that's not the, like, this is accurate. This is how stupid fucking dudes are. I'm like, <laughs> and well, horribly, like, especially the stoner one who literally had just been talking about like, you know, Preston to her. And then he's trying to hit on her and fucking halfway his stoner inebriated mind just goes straight to like the, Oh my God, you're so hot. Can I see you naked? Oh my God. Yeah. Or the guy who's just like, so I got this boner that I think yeah, we could do something the about guy, the memory guy who, yeah, the memory guy ruined, ruined press the chances earlier and then comes over and talks about another memory and then how he got a boner. Like, as if that's something to say. I mean, I guess it makes sense that he would try to say that at that moment because he obviously has no social tact. <laughs> like, he just doesn't get things. Yep. But at the same time, what the fuck, bro? I mean, that's I mean, another that- thing. That's another thing about this movie that took me back to like, yeah, that's how single fucking minded people were in high school. Like, how teenage men are yeah like, like holy shit like say teenage boys like remember the analogy i said yesterday about dogs <laughs> yes like, yes oh yeah i've always felt that like teen boys are like dogs just humping in the air they're just like yes they're, they're just fucking looking for something i mean they're I, like, yeah they're like 
a dog in heat who hasn't been fixed. And so they just like, without thinking, they just know they're nearby something <laughs> that they want to have sex with. So then they just get up on their hind legs and start humping because they know they're nearby. Like the presence is there, you know, but they don't think of what, who, or do they even want it? They just know, oh, time to fuck. No, <laughs> it's just what it is. It's, 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 it's something's here. Time to fuck. Like, that's it. So, teen boys are basically that. Like, just barely a step above. And they have to, like, learn mentally that, oh, it's not okay for me to constantly be humping the air, hoping to land on something. Or just, like, make that my one and only mission. And, like, like, that's not, that's well, yeah, not that's okay just, to do. That's just growing up. Like that's, yeah. that goes along with and all yeah. of the other things that that you learn as you grow up. That's just like, oh, things aren't as fucking black and white and simple as they seemed. Yes, like, there are people have feelings, and their feelings are just as important. And there's more people in the world besides me. That kind of thing. Yes, exactly. That's just part of the growth experience. But yeah, it's just it's mind blowing that we were like that at one point. I mean, yeah. When there are hormones that fucking hijack your brain when you're a teenager, like, God, it's Mm. no wonder. But I know it reminds me that remember that How I Met Your Mother episode where the guys are joking about like Lily and Robin getting like not liking getting hit on. Yes. And they're like, how could you fucking not like that? Come on. And they're like giving them shit and everything. And then they switch places. And now they're the ones getting hit on it. Like, what was it? Like a, a gay bar or something? Yeah. Yeah. And how like oh, pissed off they were getting. And Marshall was like, I appreciate that you appreciate my body, but I'm just not interested. Like that kind of shit. Yeah. <laughs> like that's how they initially start. And then the, and then the passes get more and more raunchy and they're just like, Oh my God. Like who would say that? Yeah, exactly. And then it, Lily and Rob, after they learn their lesson, Lily and Rob are like, ha, they learned their lesson. You want to go to a straight bar and go get hit on again? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, like, you know, it's... It's balanced. Yeah, it, it's balanced. It's balanced. Life is balanced, all right? But, yeah, I mean, along, this, along those lines, though, Preston finally gets his chance, finally nuts up, finally steps up when fate gives him the chance. He steps up and tries to take it, and then that, and then that's at the course at the worst possible time when Amanda's been telling everyone off, and so she tells him off badly. But there was some bits of truth in what she said. Yeah. The biggest one is when she says, you know, you have some memory or the you know, thing in your mind that you've kept in your head for the last four years. It's, you know, slept to or whatever, whatever she says. Exactly. Right. And that whole idea of putting her on a pedestal and creating this image of her, like, even if it's in a way of, you know, he, his, his, his aim is true. You know, he's innocent. It's still a thing that he's like yeah. putting her in the pedestal, you know? And yeah. But thankfully, I don't think he, like, I was just about to say that 
that that's horrible because it always makes you like devote your life to someone else. So your existence revolves around, you know, worshiping this other person. But then I, I stopped myself because I was like, well, actually, part of him obviously worships her, but part of him is still pursuing his own path, which I thought was kind of a good, I don't know, little change to the stereotype. Yeah. And also the other thing I thought was interesting is that that could uh, like, there's another movie made, <laughs> you know, there's another movie in here where you could have, I know, I know, I know. I hear it too, everyone. Slow down, Fuck Renee. You, Slow right? down. Jesus. <laughs> anyway. So there's a, but there's another movie I feel in here where instead of ending up with Amanda, they sep- they write the script differently and he ends up with his best friend, Denise. Yeah. I was, I was wondering if they were going to go that direction at the very beginning. Yes. And they kind of give it a little bit of credence where like they mention how they dated for a week in eighth grade. So they're just like, Hey, just in case you're wondering now, <laughs> like they, yeah. <laughs> and like, I, I think the way they went with it was the right way. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, definitely another movie in here where, you know, once he hears that from Amanda about you created this memory and this thought in your head that you haven't let go, let go of and everything else. Like if he hears that early enough in the film and he already had a falling out with Denise and then he realizes, oh, Denise was the one who was always there for me throughout. And then he remembers back to all these moments and realizes, oh, Denise is the one I should be with. And Amanda isn't. And like I being told off by her made me realize this. And then he goes and gets Denise at the end. Yeah. I like that, that could have also been I could a definitely rom-com. see that. I could definitely see that. And that could have been a solid rom-com out of this movie. That, and that's the, that's what, makes me think this is a well-written movie is that you can have two different ways it could have gone and both are good in my opinion hell you keep, could have even centered an entire rom-com just around uh oh, i forget their names now but the uh, the seth green and her denise and kenny kenny that's his name yeah yeah like that could have been its own rom-com at some point too. Like obviously not the only plot of the whole movie, but like, yeah, yeah I agree. There's layers, but that it's fucking like, final kiss though, dude. But can we talk about the, that? The kiss of the film, the final scene. I want to talk about the, well, the whole, the whole thing, the whole thing, the whole kitten caboodle, the whole lead up to it and everything. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you go first. You go ahead. I mean, I didn't. I didn't have anything too specific to talk about. I just. I loved it. I thought it was a fantastic fucking scene. The build up was incredible. Like, I was legitimately sitting there on the edge of my seat, going, "Would you? Are you? Can you please? Could you just fucking kiss? Come on, come on!" And then they don't. They walk away. They look at each other. They still don't kiss. They keep walking. Oh, yeah, they think about going back. No, they keep walking. And then he just drops his shit without even turning around, spins around, sprints after her, doesn't kiss her right away, gets in front of her. Doesn't he say something or does he just look at her? He says, I'm sure there's a later train. That's what it is. Yeah. 
and then kisses her. Fucking love it. Fucking love it. So, what what grade would you give the kiss? A plus. Okay. One of the best rom com kisses I've ever seen. All right. So, I think the reason I've always thought fondly of this movie, and ever since I first saw it, and I've never forgotten this movie since I first saw it, and the reason why is that final scene. Yeah. And watching it today reminded me why. I, you know, I was shushing you as I was, as we were watching it. Um, like I, I kept shushing you and that's because I was so into the scene. I was so in it with like the characters and everything else. It's, I mean, I was into it too. That's why I kept going, but, but like I was, I was not completing sentences. I was like, come on. I, I think, I think to like, I think I can honestly say that this scene made me realize how much I like and, you know, and that rom-coms were what I liked and how much I liked rom-coms. And I go back to this scene when I think of romance. <laughs> like this basically formulated the idea of romance to me because I was 10 years old when it came out. So this kind of, this is what I've held on to the idea when I think of the idea of romance, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and so I just think huh, it, it's so, <laughs> it's so great. I just, I love to see. So from coming, going from first off him showing up at the train station and walking in and it's just where's the parents Um, but then all of a sudden she shows up and the discuss and the discussion that they have and the fucking and you can hear the feelings and everything wavering yeah yeah the discussion is so slow like they're they're just like gazing into each other's eyes and slowly saying responses back and forth to each other like it is the absolute it is everything you mean when you say subtext like the subtext between these two what's not being said between these two is so palatable it's just like you can hear the voices quivering and and everything else you know what i mean that's a good example Uh, of showing instead of telling (laughs) yes and so then along with those voices quivering and like and everything else uh, going on like within all of that then there's just the just the looks they're giving each other what they're saying and you know oh well i guess fate you know you know everything else with fate 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 blah 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 blah. then there's the whole melodramatic parts of course where you know they she turns around and looks at him then he turns around and looks at her and so at, when you're first watching it, you're thinking to yourself, there's no way they're going to fucking do this. Like, there's no way they're going to have them not 
can't like consummate this. Like there's no way there's going to be no consummation here. Like, come on, how? And of course it's all soundtracked by a fantastic song that I've loved ever since I heard it in that mm-hmm. movie, but I didn't know what the song was until I heard it in another thing. Um, but the song is only you by Yaz by Yaz or Yazoo. Um, but that song is fantastic. I didn't know what that song was called until I watched the UK version of the office. And that was used in a, in a final scene in that show. Um, and that's how I was like, Oh, I've heard this before. Oh, it's in can't hardly wait. Oh my God. I know what the song is. But I love that fucking song. It's fantastic. It's one of my favorite songs. And then when he finally drops his bags, I always loved, it's a little thing, but I always loved the way he hurdles over that chair like the little rail of that chair. And I'm just like, damn, he hurtled the fuck out of that. <laughs> like just the way he jumped over it. It's like, dang, all right. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and, uh, and then after all that, you know, I can take a later trade and then he kisses her then that initial peck. And then he smile, you see yep. him smile. Yep. And then there's a longer kiss and he still, he seems smile again. And, that smile borders once again on creepy, but he's 18 and he just realized his lifelong dream. So if we we give him a pass once again, <laughs> and it's just all perfect. It all comes full circle and they kiss and they've stayed together since. And I'm not cynical enough to break them up. And what happens after, after I think they're still together. You fucking shouldn't be. They'd stay the uh, fuck together. I I'm willing to say this. This is my favorite single scene of a rom-com. It's it a is. pretty good one. I, I can understand if it that is. is your favorite. So, obviously a plus from the kiss. It's my favorite. I'll always love this scene. It's, it's a I'll damn love. good kiss. There are so many good things about it. So many. Yeah. It's honestly, the kiss itself is the only unrealistic or like not as high school part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like that whole scene really isn't, it doesn't adhere to the same kind of high school debauchery as the rest of the movie, which is not a bad thing at all. I'm just pointing it out that it was, it was the only thing in the movie that was like a little more adultish, which I thought was good actually. Cause it's like, it's showing that both of them are kind of, if you want to really read into it, leaving their high school ways behind, you know, symbolically in this new beginning kind of thing, you know, I like it. Yeah. It was I agree. great fucking way to end the movie. I'm glad they ended it there too. Like you don't need anything else after that. Yeah. Like, I mean, of course there is the, the after credit scene where those two nerds, yeah. I, I, I told you about it, but that's a, that's a whatever, but that is the ending scene of the film. And that's perfect. It yeah. is perfect. Um, so if we get, let's go to the verdict. I think it's obvious what it is for me. I'm the one who brought this up. I've mentioned, I've watched it multiple times. I just said, it's my favorite scene of all time in a rom-com. I obviously killed this movie. I'm married. <laughs> 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 I'm married. I'm married to it right now. I'm, I still got the ring on my goddamn finger and it's never coming off. I'm married that's, to this film. That's how you know, uh, apparently that you're married is when you can joke about killing it and not mean it. Exactly. We've been married for 23 years. She's not. Gonna be, she she knows how I joke. All right. 
Uh, what about you, Max? Um, I I I liked it. I liked the movie a lot. I personally would just fuck it. Uh, I think it's a great movie. Um, I just I would need to watch it more times to really know if it holds up the test of time for me. But that scene, like, if you're gonna watch anything in that movie, if you're gonna watch any fucking rom com scene, that needs to be one of them. That final scene, like, agreed. If you're going to watch this movie for one thing and one thing only, watch it for that fucking scene. Because that, I think that's a very, like how, I'm actually kind of pissed that after all the goddamn rom-coms I've seen, I didn't know about that scene. Yeah. Because that's a very good fucking rom-com scene. I think should be up there in the top echelon of like classic rom-com moments. Like it's a damn good scene. So I'd say, I'd say fuck, but with it, that little caveat. Yep. I, I agree. And shout out to Jason Siegel. We, we mentioned him earlier oh, when yeah. we talked about, about it, but his scene in this movie, I remember listening to a podcast where he talked about his like filmography and they mentioned this movie and he just said, yeah, they just brought me in and they're basically just like, yeah, we know you have some improv, so just like we want you to improv this scene where they talk about Preston. <laughs> like, so basically, just the things he was in, he was just like there to improv and be an extra <laughs> sort of thing. And so that whole scene where he was like, he had cut that watermelon, it was like licking the watermelon. And then, <laughs> like, the discussion he was having with the other stoner, it was just like obvious that they were just improving. And that I whole forgot scene about like, that already. That was such a great little scene. Oh my god. Trust on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and another shout out to the foreign exchange student who was there listening to Preston wax poetic about Amanda and when he asked the foreign exchange student <laughs> he says, Would you like to touch my penis? And just the delivery of that line is fantastic. You have one line, you have one job, and you succeeded in that job. Yep. It goes to you. Flying colors. Yes. So, <laughs> all right. Well, you can find the socials for us uh, on Instagram at Bromancing the Stone Podcast, all one word together, Bromancing the Stone Podcast. On Twitter, it's at Bro the Stone Pod, B R O T H E S T O N E P O D. And then on Twitter, I am at Supermarket Sweep without the E in super. So, S U P R Market Sweep. And on Instagram, I am at Relusa88, and that's R-E-L-U-S-A-8-8. And then Max? On Instagram, you can find me at Lionhearted, which is T-H-E period L-Y-O-N-H-E-A-R-T-E-D. And on Twitter, you can find me at the Lionhearted with an underscore, T-H-E underscore L-Y-O-N-H-E-A-R-T-E-D. There you go. And next week, it is your choice. Yes. Well, I hope you're not tired of teen rom-coms on Netflix. You're not, right? It'll depend. What have you chosen? <laughs> no, I need a yes or no now. <laughs> oh, no, no. You're fine. You're fine. No, uh, um, we are going to watch a movie that I remember hearing a shit ton about when it first came out. 
and I never got around to watching it. And now there's been a second <laughs> one made. So we're going to try to all the boys I've loved before. Oh shit. You really want, okay. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to do it. We're going to launch into that. We're going to launch into that. It's we're going to back into the Noah Centineo party. Yeah. 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 I'm going to keep that ball rolling. <laughs> okay. Well, honestly, what's funny that you say that because I wanted to do this film for Valentine's day. Oh, and okay. Okay. You know, well, it, and what's perfect about this is that that episode will come out on February 1st. And then the next episode will be February 8th, right before Valentine's day. So we can do the first one and then we'll do the sequel on February 8th. So it'll be our, That'll be our Valentine's Day special for this year. Oh, okay. 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 That, oh, work, that works nicely. I like that. Yeah. So that those will be the next two films. So everyone mark that down. We're starting off February with the To All the Boys I Love Before series, one and two. All right. So it's going to be cool. I've seen both of them. Have you? Uh, yes. Okay. And. I'm in, I've only seen both of them once. I enjoyed both of them once. I'm very intrigued to see how they hold up in a second viewing. So yeah, I'm I'm interested to see how they hold up with all the shit I've heard about them. I mean, like I don't know a lot of details about the movies, but like everyone had an opinion. I feel like that I knew when this came out in 2018. Like everyone in my life at the time had a fucking opinion about it for some reason. <laughs> so like i have all of this context put to it but no actual like experience so i'm interested yeah man all right. all right well until then for the tens and tens of listeners we love y'all and we thank you and we will catch you next week uh and before we go just want to say uh happy birthday because this will come out the 25th so happy birthday to my mom Oh, and yeah. happy birthday to Bo. She knows who she is. Uh, same day. Uh, you know who Bo is. Yep. Uh, and happy also, birthday to happy you. <laughs> on uh, Friday the 29th. Yeah, yeah. That'll be my birthday. Yeah. And, uh, and also, a happy belated birthday to my nephew, Rocky, whose birthday's on the 25th. So. All right. All right. Well, Oh, we'll and catch you. Happy Next birthday week. to my mom, who's 26. And happy birthday to your mom. Yeah. Jeez. Bow. Gee. All right. We'll catch you later. Peace. Love you guys. Stay safe.